As we prepare to hear from God's word, I would ask that you join with me in the prayer for illumination that we have in our bulletins this day. Speak to us, Lord, through these scriptures. Remind us again of your everlasting power. May we know your story and our place within it. May we remember your mighty works and deeds, that we might know that you are the God of all ages. May we claim your promise and share your love. We are listening, Lord. Speak to us today. So as God's own chosen people who are holy, excuse me, set apart, sanctified for his purpose, and well-beloved by God himself, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, which has the power to endure whatever injustice or unpleasantness comes with good temper, bearing graciously with one another and willingly forgiving each other if one has a cause for complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you should forgive. Beyond all these things, put on and wrap yourself in unselfish love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ be the controlling factor in your hearts, deciding and settling questions that arise. To this peace, indeed, you were called as members in one body of believers. And be thankful to God always. Let the spoken word of Christ have its home within you, dwelling in your heart and mind, permeating every aspect of your being as you teach spiritual things and admonish and train one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, no matter what it is in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus and in dependence on him, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So in our Bible verses today, close it up and I'll probably want to look at it again. Paul's talking about having this right mind as believers and he's writing specifically to this the believers in the, the city of Colossae long ago about how they should love one another. It's a topic in that early church that was incredibly important because the world was watching how how this Jesus movement, how these Christians would manifest itself, especially in relationships. They wanted to see if it was legitimate. And I say this is just as important today in our world, especially when we understand there's not as many people being raised up in a Christian church. There's not as many people coming into our churches. That means if they aren't in our churches, then what they first learn about Jesus is going to be something outside, from the internet, from a book, from a friend, from a, a family member. Maybe from watching how we treat people. If we think of ourselves as Christians, as someone who's trying to follow Jesus, how we act towards 
other people needs to be different than how non-Christians treat each other. That's what Paul, I believe, is saying in these verses, especially these opening verses. So is God's own chosen people who are holy. The Amplified Bible adds that that holy means you've been set apart. You're sanctified for His purpose. You believe, David? God has chosen you and sanctified you for His purpose. For you, Aaron, Elizabeth, Tony, Sue, Lois, Carolyn. We have been chosen and set apart by God. And well beloved by God Himself. So He tells us we have to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing graciously with one another and willing to forgive each other. That's what. There's a lot going on in just those two opening verses. There's a lot to unpack. Again, Paul starts off by reminding us hey, you are God's chosen people. You have been chosen by God. And then he begins talking in general terms about how loving people. When we love people, we're demonstrating God's love for us. This is even more important, I believe, in our closest relationships, in our marriages. This is the second week of our series, Factor Friction, and we're talking about marriages. You know, even if we're not married, we understand that when there's friction in our lives, it causes stress. When life gets tough, we tend to get moved away from what we know is true because we're under this stress, this friction. And we begin to interpret things that aren't based in fact. What we know to be true, that might become our reality. The circumstances in our lives have a way of staining the way we look at one another. The people around us and especially in our closest relationships. Today's message is about friction in our marriages, but the fact is that many of you listening, many of you here today aren't married. Some of you have lost your spouse, they've gone on to glory. But guess what? You still need to pay attention even if, even if you're not married. Because even though I'm going to be talking specifically at times about marriage, many of the things I'm going to talk about are about relationships and close relationships. We all have relationships in our lives. Parents, brothers, sisters, friends, and co-workers. All of our relationships are affected when there's friction in our lives. One of the most vulnerable relationships where we start being overwhelmed by stress is often in the marriage relationship. Our vows, our wedding vows might be tested. Love can go up and down. And unless we're proactive enough to rekindle the flame of love, it might get diminished. Just thinking that when you take two different people from two different backgrounds and putting them together in the same house is difficult. Then alone you add all the burdens and the stresses that the world puts on us. Work and children, families, finances, intimacy. All these stresses that come into our relationships, especially if we're married. 
Any couple who has been married for more than five minutes can attest to the fact that the process of becoming one, the two become one, is not an easy process. Marriages have to be ready and have a plan to overcome the friction when it appears in their lives. When friction arises, when we're tempted to forget what is true, especially about one another, we have to remind ourselves that we have been chosen by God and we're deeply loved by God. That's the basis for our love for our spouses. Without trusting that God loves us and allowing that love to permeate in us, we have little to no hope of being able to love someone else well. That's what Paul's saying. It's because of God's love for us that Paul's telling us in these opening verses to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. See, we have to choose what we put on. We choose what we wear. If you remember back a few years, when you're young, every new school year, I would be taken out usually by my mom, maybe a grandparent or someone else, but we get new school clothes or new school shoes, and that was for school. And then the day before, the night before, the first day of school, you'd have to lay out what you were going to wear that first day of school so you could look impressive. I have a picture, I have to promise. Uh, it's pretty, pretty stylish of me. Daphne always laughs when she sees it. All I can say is I'm rocking the plaid pants as a teenager in the 70s. And yeah, that first day of school. That's what Paul's saying in this passage, that we have to put on these attitudes. In the original language, the Greek word that Paul used was in duo. And that means to clothe yourself tells us to clothe ourselves by putting on compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. These are attitudes that might get forgotten, often get forgotten in relationships, even marriages, when things get difficult, when there's friction and stress. Paul's saying we have to intentionally choose them and intentionally express them. When you're stressed and your spouse asks you to do something you don't want to do, how do you respond? I, a lot of times we get frustrated. I get frustrated. Kevin, come here right away. I, instead, I have to choose patience. It's been a bad day. And you're close friend or maybe your spouse has forgotten to do something that was important that they promised to do. How do you respond? Angry. Instead, we, Paul calls us to put on compassion. Especially in our marriages, this is so important. We have to understand that teamwork is what makes the dream work. Marriage is like a three-legged race, if you've ever had that experience of being a participant in a three-legged race. If you try to push ahead without that person in the sack with you, or your legs tied together, you're destined to both fall. You have to be in rhythm with one another. It's not easy, but when done right, you begin to move as one. 
how a marriage is supposed to be. In Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a more satisfying return for their labor. What if you were to remind your spouse, your closest friends, that you're in this together? That no matter what comes your way, you're going to be there for each other. You're going to hit it head on, head on together. It's like a sports team. You have a lot more confidence when you know you have someone on your side. When you understand that if you're weak, that person can be strong. And when they're struggling, when they're weak, you can lift them up. This is the mindset that we have to choose each day. It doesn't come naturally. Left to ourselves, we're always going to want to slide back into wanting to do things our own way. Things that benefit us. We might become frustrated when we perceive that our partner or our spouse has checked out. It's all about the attitude that we have. It's a commitment to be there for each other. So that our teamwork can make the dream work. The way you see your marriage and your closest relationships are large, largely dictated by your own attitude. Those are the glasses you put on, the attitude that you see people through. Often you're going to see what you want to see and you're not going to see what you don't want to see. This applies to all our relationships. We have to pay attention to what mentally we're bringing into that relationship. What glasses are we seeing that person through? If we're lackadaisical about our closest relationship, our marriage, or our close friend or family member, whatever our most important relationship is, how are we going to relate to other people in our lives? In verse 14, Paul introduces this incredibly important aspect of a successful marriage and successful relationships. It's about forgiveness. He says, if someone has a grievance against someone else, you have to choose to forgive that person. He says, put on forgiveness. He doesn't say to forgive them because they deserve it. He doesn't say to forgive because you're going to get a pat on the back. He doesn't say forgive because your spouse is magically going to become a perfect husband or a perfect wife. It's not going to happen. He says to do it because you have been forgiven by God already. We forgive because we have been forgiven. And I do want to take a minute to acknowledge there are toxic relationships. There's toxic marriages. If a marriage is toxic, it takes both people to commit to repair what's broken in that relationship. If they're both committed to working it out, it can be saved. If someone in that relationship doesn't want to admit where they're wrong, what they're doing wrong, and they don't want to change themselves, it might be time for that relationship to end. That doesn't mean you don't forgive them. I know it seems unfathomable. How can we forgive someone who hurts us so badly? Daphne and I had the honor to know someone who lived this out in a way that is unforgettable for, for me. Uh, 
Daphne and I met a lady named Cass Gardner about 2010-2011. And the first thing you noticed when you met Cass is that she had a sunken in eye. And that's because she'd been shot by her husband in the eye. He went to jail, they divorced, but by the time we had met Cass, she had forgiven him. She visited him in prison. She took care to make sure that doctors and he was getting his medicines he needed in prison. She lived out those words from God, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you should forgive. Cass has gone on to glory. I still remember getting the message from that pastor in Pennsylvania. That's where she was. But I think of her often, especially if I'm having a hard time forgiving someone. See, forgiving is a choice that we have to make. We just have to remember, we forgive because God has already forgiven us. Then Paul continues with another key in relationships in verses 14 to 16. Beyond all these things, put on and wrap yourself in unselfish love, which is the perfect bond of unity. He's saying, here's the secret sauce. Here's what binds all that I'm telling you together. This is what enables marriages and other relationships to navigate the highs and the lows of life. It is love. Love is the glue. Paul says to clothe yourself in love because love holds all the other attitudes in place. It's the bonding agent, like super glue. Like cement, love is secure. And the word that, that we translate as love that Paul uses here is agape. You might have heard of agape love before. It expresses a love that's self-giving in nature. It's a love that's sacrificial, putting others first. See, when we love selfishly, then we're able to love and have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience in our relationships. He also mentions that having gratitude is important. It's a key to this type of love, being thankful and grateful. Often when people get married, they're, they're in what's called the honeymoon phase. You guys still in the honeymoon phase? You don't have to answer that. Everything's great, their spouse is perfect, until one day they aren't. Every couple will see that excitement and the euphoria. It goes up and down from time to time. That's the time when each person in the relationship has to choose to be thankful. It goes up and down, I can say, as we're going to be celebrating almost 40 years next February. You know, we have to remind ourselves why we got into this relationship in the first place. And I know most people, so maybe not, I won't say all of you, but some of you are probably thinking, I understand what you're saying, Pastor. I understand what, what Paul's writing, what God's saying. This is how we should act, but I don't see how. I think that's a little bit impossible. And the good news is that Paul gave us the key right here in the last verse, because I can't do all this. I can tell you on my own. Verse 14 says, or whatever the last verse was, 17, whatever you do, and the Amplified Bible adds, no matter what it is, in word and deed, 
Do everything in the name of Lord Jesus. And again, the Amplified Bible adds to help bring out the original meaning. In the name of Lord Jesus and independence on Him. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever we want to do, we want to do it in the name of Jesus. And we want to depend on Him to help us when we fall short. The reason we can pay attention to how we speak, we need to, should I say. The reason, another reason, I should say, how we want to pay attention to how we act as a married couple, how we speak to what we do in relationship with our spouse, is because marriages are meant to be a picture of the kind of relationship between Jesus and the church. Throughout the New Testament, there's this comparison between marriages and Jesus and the church. Ephesians chapter 5 is, is one that comes to mind. and I didn't realize this until this morning, and then I said, well, I'm going to read this. Now, you ladies might not like this at first, but let me read verses 18 and 19. Verse 18 says, Wives, be subject to your husbands. And in brackets, the Amplified Bible says, out of respect for their position as protector and their accountability to God as is proper and fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Again, the brackets say, with an affectionate, sympathetic, selfless love that always seeks the best for them and do not be embittered or resentful toward them because of the responsibilities of marriage. And I always like this, you know, us husbands love bringing this. The Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. Can you imagine me saying that to Daphne? Yeah. You look at the next verse in Ephesians chapter 5, and I don't have it all head, but it says, if you want your wife to submit to you, then husbands must, doesn't say maybe, it says husbands love your wife as Christ loves the church. Guess what? I don't know if I can do that. I can try. But that's my responsibility as a husband is to love my wife as Jesus loves his church. If I don't do that, then she shouldn't submit to me. That's why it takes an attitude, all these attitudes of compassion, because we're both going to fall short from this perfection that we seek and strive after. But the good news, part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is going to be with us. The Holy Spirit is going to help us. But we have to understand that as a married couple, how husbands love and care and serve and support their wives, it shows the world how Jesus' love is, how His love, what His love looks like, and how wives love for and serve and care for their husbands. It shows the world what Jesus' love looks like. Our marriages are more about just some rings, a cake, and a cupid shuffle. They're about the kingdom of God. It was a covenant that God gave to mankind at the very beginning in the Old Testament. And the truth is that there's an adversary who's bent on harming and destroying your marriage. And it's because of how important the institution of marriage is to God. That's why the evil one is going to do everything in his power, everything he wants to try to do to break down the commitment between people in a marriage covenant. 
In John 10.10, Jesus said this, The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Why do you need God's help to keep your marriage strong? Because the goal for the evil one is to destroy it. That's why couples have to fight at times to keep friction from crippling our connections in our relationships. We need God's help to love other people the way that God loves us. And that's part of the good news of Jesus is that couples don't have to fight this friction alone. Single people don't have to fight this friction alone. Jesus has come to give you life and life in the full. Jesus wants your marriage and your closest relationships to be healthy and vibrant. He wants you to develop strong foundations that can help carry each other's loads. And in order for this to happen, it's not going to magically happen. It has to be intentional. We have to make intentional choices to be humble and compassionate and patient with one another. Choose today to invest in yourself, in your closest relationships. And as I've said before, I believe, you know, the best way I know to help me along my journey is to keep God's word in your heart and your mind. That's why I've been putting like a short memory verse in the bulletin every week. If you just read it throughout the week, it's going to enter into your life. You may not be able to quote it, but when you need it, you'll be able to recite it. And today's memory verse, I'll read it. It's the first part of 316. I'll read it first and you can join with me. We'll read it again. The word of Christ must live in you richly. You can join with me. The word of Christ must live in you richly. God is with us on the journey. That is what we know to be true. Never forget this. Amen.